Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me tonight are John and Liam. How are you, Liam? Good, thanks, Jared. I um, want to thank you guys for the uh, lovely tribute you paid to my, my late Uncle Frank last week and um, just send a wee message to my, my family back in Scotland. Love you all and uh, hopefully I'll uh, see you all soon. And how are you, John? I'm well, I'm well. Um slowly going back to normality here in Sydney, which is nice. Um, but got a pubs and restaurants and parks and stuff. Feeling a bit more human. It's good. That's what we like. And then, you know, Celtic's starting to get some wins as well. So that also helps us feel more human. So um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that always makes us a bit happier. So, um, yeah, things are starting to get back to normal here in Melbourne too. We, yeah, they're scaling things back. So it's good. I was able to go see my mother-in-law for the first time in, I don't know, four or five months, go see some family and that. So it's what's needed. Happy days. Well, um, onwards and upwards for us. But, um, yeah, I just want to just say to Liam, yeah, appreciate you jumping on and, yeah, RIP to Uncle Frank. Thanks, mate. It's uh it's uh, been really heartwarming, all the messages that have been coming in from literally all over the world in the last week or so. And uh, whatever he is now, I'm sure Uncle Frank appreciates just how much he is loved by so many people. All right. So what we'll do is we'll just do the usual shout at the start of the pod. So just if you're listening to our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, please do so in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a uh, five-star review because we'd really appreciate that. So we'll jump straight into the only Celtic game that happened since our last podcast, Celtic 2, St. Johnson nil. So Jack Amakis scored his first goal for the club. Juranovic scored with a penalty. Celtic had 20 shots to four, 79% possession. Almost four times as many passes. And Liam's got a train going past him. Yes. <laughs> That's St. John's uh, hopes going past. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the one thing I wanted to point out looking at all the stats is 10 fouls for St. Johnson, five yellow cards, no reds. That were the key. that was the main thing for me. So I'll throw to you, John. What was your thoughts on the game? Well, it's positive, obviously because it was a win. But what's I think overall, what we're all seeing now is a trend of of just complete dominance in every game. And that's not just in the domestic sense. We've been seeing that now in you know, the European game as well, um, which is really positive. I think, um, <clears throat> especially when you look at XG stats and all of that modern stuff, it was probably definitely a settled period that we saw beforehand. And we're really not starting to see, especially with injuries coming back and stuff. Um, Jack Amakis is the one I'm thinking of really there. And Michael Johnson as well. We're really seeing now this complete dominance in every in every aspect. We're attacking like much much better. We're defending much much better. The passing's sharper. Um, so overall, I thought the game was brilliant. We probably should have scored more than just the two. I think two goals probably flattered St. Johnson more. Um, I also think we probably like I know we got a penny, but we probably deserved at least another two there. I think the ones that scream out to me are Jack Amakis's. Um, foul over in the you know right hand wing. I mean, just because Jackamacus got back on his feet, he actually got the foul against him, which I thought was mental. Because if you look at the highlights, it's a clear and obvious foul. 
to me at least anyway. And I think if we did have VAR, that would be straight onto the, you know, go have another look sort of stuff. Whether it went our way or not is another argument. But, and then, look, I'd probably argue there was two times Jota got injured. One in the first half and one in the second half. Uh, not injured, uh, tackled in the, in the penalty box. Once in the first, once in the second. And I think at least one of them's a penalty. So should have probably had another two penalties there, to be honest. But we hit the cross, we hit the um, hit the bar, and yeah, good result. But we probably should have scored more. I just want to touch on Carter Vickers' yellow card. How much of a joke was that? This is the 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 from the, the little scrap, and then yeah, he gets the scrap, yeah. then he gets cut, he gets booked for the whole thing. Like absolute joke. Um, yeah, Mikey Johnson. It's good to have him back. Just wait till Forrest comes back, and then you look at our options out wide, and you're gonna have brilliant. Guys like Barter, you know, Forrest out there. Then you'll have Jota, Johnson on the left. You've got Furuhashi that can go out there if need be. We're going to have heaps of options. So, um, yeah, we're slowly getting there. And it's good to see Ange being able to make subs and have things happen. But one thing I wanted to say was the fouls, the 10 fouls that we that they had on them. I found that a little bit ridiculous because when the penalty was – I think it was when the penalty was given – the rest gone, play on, play on, play on three times. And then he gave a yeah. penalty. So is that four of those fouls in the space of like ten seconds? It, it was it was it was mental. I, I actually thought the like I don't want to go into the conspiracy route as much as I quite adamantly believe that there is something going on. <laughs> in this particular scenario, I just think the ref had a very poor game. I think some of his calls were outrageous. I love when play when refs play on. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right, Jared. I think the fact that Christ, how many times did he, how many times did he did he let the play keep going? And look, eventually we got the penalty for it. But there there was a, there was some sort of card in that which never happened. Mental. And also this whole precedence of if there is some sort of um, handbags getting thrown about that, it, but at least one of both both teams has to get a book in. That's just that's mental. That's absolutely mental. What did Carter Vickers do in that to warrant a yellow? He stood up for himself. But I'd love to get Liam's take on it too, though, yeah. Yeah, I mean, is, is, it, is, it, a, is it illegal now to belly flop the opponent's toe? I mean, what was the fucking deal with that, you know? Um, it, it really... Carter Vickers goes down, gets booted in the stomach, jumps up rightfully angrily, angrily and then gets a yellow card for it. I'm like, I really just don't... I mean, whether there's a conspiracy or not, the referees don't help themselves with stupid decisions like that. Hmm. Um, but overall with the game, I was really... Um, I think if you look at the last few games, there's been quite a few different questions that Celtic have answered. You know, the Aberdeen game showed that we have the character to come back and win when we're, when we're up against it away from home. Right? The Motherwell game showed that we can still go away from home and dominate teams to the same extent we dominate them at Celtic Park. And the game at the weekend showed that we can still clock up a routine win without really getting out of second gear. All skills that were lacking last season. The St. Johnson game also showed that we can we can win a physical game too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's a good... Go on, John. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the really big players that have moved on. And and look, I obviously defensively in the ones I'm thinking of is the best of the lot, right? But is is Christie really that defensively minded? I probably would argue that he isn't. I think he puts a lot of effort in. Um, but he's not. If you compare him to um Furuhashi, who probably, you know, Furuhashi's got a lot less weight on him. But Furuhashi wins a lot of tackles and really puts a lot of work in. Edward does not is not somebody that you would rely defensively on. And again, you've probably got Jackamakas and you've got Furuhashi there. So we've probably got a change of players that allowed us to do that. But I think there's also um just a change in mindset where everybody has to defend like a pack and everybody has to attack like a pack. Um, which is all down to the manager, which is brilliant to see. Well, I mean, that's something that we'll get on to later on under our our, uh, our topics list. But um, I think the fact that certain players are really shining and other players are already looking at possibly being moved out suggests that Ange is one of those guys that you either buy into his philosophy or you don't. And the players that have done are being rewarded, you know? It was a time. It was always going to be one of them ones where you had to ju- let him get to the end of October, start of November, get through playing all the teams once and see where it is. And like you, I don't know if you guys saw Cal Mack's press conference, but he was saying the last few games, Andrew said, okay, let's show a bit of patience at the start. Let's still look for it, but let's not go hell for, hell for leather at the start of the games. And we were running out of legs in the last 20 minutes of the games when we were winning those games 6-0 early on. But off the back of that, when we lost those three in a row away from home, we were running out of legs in that last 20 minutes. Now we're running out full full games. Like you look at game weekend, we scored late, won the penalty, and we're still running with plenty of power and intensity towards the end of the game. So it's good to see that, that we're um, you know, we're adapting a little bit. And I've heard on a lot of podcasts people saying, Oh, Andrew's adjusted his style. I'd say Okay, that's one person's interpretation, but I see it as the players are getting used to the way and wants them to play and what they're expected to do. So now they can go out and perform that better. As Ange did have to, you know, adjust how he's coaching. Yes, let's not muck around there. That's the truth. But at the same time, a batch of players who have to learn to play together and learn a new manager and how what his expectations are while learning their teammates. And to see for me seeing guys like Jota saying, Oh, if it if he needs to, he'll go and learn Japanese so that he better communicate with Furuhashi. For me, that shows guys are getting what Andrew's saying. They're all starting to sing from the same hymn sheet. That's what I want to see. Because that's great. To me, that's the little one percenters that add up. And that's the difference between Winning a comp and coming second. Yeah. 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 Here's a question on that. I've often thought this. It's good to probably get it out there. Does um, Does Ange know Japanese himself? He had interpreters in Japan. Yeah, I'm guessing he probably doesn't because most of the foreign managers in the J-League just go through interpreters. They right. will learn daily conversation, but any, like interviews or negotiations would be done through an interpreter. Yeah, right. No, I, just think it's I have daily conversational Japanese, but when it comes to contract negotiations, I always insist on doing it in English, you know? Uh, yeah, 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 of course. Um, it, it just has a very good relationship 
with Kyogo. Do you know what I mean? You can quite clearly see that. And that's I mean, I don't know what Kyogo's English is like, but it doesn't have he doesn't have to know English at all. But it's just good to Kyogo's see. English will be better than you expect. I mean every single person in Japan studies English for five years at least. God that right? puts us to shame, didn't it? <laughs> Aye, but I mean the, but the thing is that um you know how much French do you remember from high school, right? Because I remember basically none, despite studying it for five years, right? True. You know, um, I think Kyogo, from what I understand, I don't know how how early on he was linked with Celtic, but he got wind at the big run about the beginning of the year that he was going to move to Europe, and from that point on, he'd been studying English intensively. Um because he figured he was probably going to, if he didn't go to either England or Scotland, he was going to go to a country where English would be a good means of communication anyway. Um, So he was working on his English before he came over. And Kyogo's probably in the same boat as me. He might well have conversational English, but for official stuff, he's doing it in Japanese because he wants to make sure the message isn't misinterpreted, you know? There was a story on Ange when he was at Yokohama about it was over in our papers over here that on the old 442 before it got shut down. And it said that when he was over there, he had Brazilian players at Yokohama. He had Serbian players, Japanese players, and he had one other that I can't remember. So he had a, he had a group of three or four translators there on the training pitch next to him. So he'd have, he'd say what he wanted. And then the Japanese assistant coach he had, would say that to the Japanese guys, but then he'd have the Serbian guy saying that to those guys, the Brazilian guy saying that to the Portuguese, and that's how they'd coach and get the message across. So if he, that's how he got the message across in Japan and did what he did over there. You can only imagine how easier it is for him in Scotland where, you know, they speak the same language as he speaks naturally. So, yeah, it should be a bit, yeah. a bit easier for him. But by the same token, you must wonder if maybe that's why some of Celtic's foreign signings haven't settled as well, because they're not getting that level of support here that they would in the J League. Yeah, could that or, have been? Uh, I mean, was that about last season? Yeah, and and even even if they did have that, because let's let's assume that Celtic does have that level of professionalism where they have multiple interpreters. Mm. Speaking a na- your native language at work might be one thing, but coming home and and not having anybody around you in a social capacity that's that's a whole different ballpark, right? So Yeah. That's probably yeah. part of it as well. Yeah, I mean that is something I deal with here, you know, like present company notwithstanding, I can go weeks at a time without speaking English. <laughs> you know, because unless I'm phoning my dad or I'm uh, I'm watching the football with one of my mates. Um, it's it's all Japanese. Girlfriend doesn't speak English. Co-workers don't speak English. You know. Yeah, right. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's such a <laughs> a mind fuck to get around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we apologise to the listeners for any technical difficulties you're hearing. I think we've got a bad stream going on through our software provider today. So I just apologise for that. Noticed that we're all, you know, getting a bit of a glitch here and there. So I just thought I'll go on the record quickly and say that. So sorry, everyone. It's out of our control tonight. Uh, sure is. Aye. 
All right. So speaking about Japanese players transitioning to Scotland, mm. Liam. Yes. Jason Maeda. Right. Rumours of him coming to Celtic in January. Now, everybody, there's all sorts of people out there in Celtic fan media and the bloggers and all that saying, oh, yeah, we mentioned him last week. We mentioned him two weeks ago when looking at players that Ange could bring in from Japan. Our man in Japan, Liam, dropped his name on us back, would have been in July. So June or July. So that's the man who said it first. So I want to get your opinion on this, Liam. Is this going to be a good timing for Celtic? Over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For one, I've already seen Maeda wear the green and white hoops, albeit it was for Matsumoto Yamaga, my local team, who that season wore green and white hoops. Um, he played for Yamaga, um, about, I think for about two seasons and he was a standout. He was the star of the season that they got promoted and he basically held them up for as much as he could, even though they got relegated the next season, he did his best to kind of try and steady the ship. And he was, he was just really ran the show. And he left towards the end of the season to go on loan to a team in Portugal. Um, I think it was Maritimo, if I remember correctly. And it was telling that Yamaga just completely fell apart as soon as he left and they got relegated. Um, Since he's came back to Japan and went on to Yokohama, he has developed even more as a player. Um, If I were to liken him to a Celtic player that we might all be familiar with, um, Scott McDonald probably springs to mind. Not the biggest guy, but stocky, low centre of gravity, loves to run with the ball, powerful despite his physique, um, determined, will run all day. He has the, he has that same graph, that same work ethic that Kyogo has, though perhaps what he doesn't have in terms of skill compared to Kyogo, I think he makes up for in greater physicality. Um, plus, he's from Osaka, which is basically the Glasgow of Japan, so he's going to be mental. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm going to say is he's rapid to his so fast. So I'll yeah. look at it, Liam, I go, we're talking about Mikey Johnson earlier. Do you think that him, he would be someone worth probably thinking in the back of our mind? Mikey's injury prone, so we need another left winger. So we'd bring Maeda in, first of all. And second question off the back of that is, or do you think that he's being thought of as an option in case we don't sign Yota going forward? Well, the thing about Maeda is that I've seen him play all across the front three. So he's not necessarily going to come in and be a left winger or a through-the-middle type player. Switch the wingers. Um, yeah. I mean, Maeda gives you that option. What I would suggest is that if Maeda comes in, that I think with rotation, there's a way that we could have Jota, Abada, Kyogo, and Maeda all accommodated in the team. But it would raise question marks about the future of Mikey Johnson and James Forrest because I don't think there's room for all of them. And unfortunately, Johnson, although, you know, everyone talks about him having potential, he's had potential for about three years now and he hasn't really 
developed from it. Um, and again, Maeda is a bit like Kyogo in the sense he's slightly younger. He's only, I think he's only 24, Maeda. But Looks like he he's 41, though. Aye, well, <laughs> again, that's what going up in Osaka will do to you. But um, he, uh, he's he got that bit of maturity about him as well. He's not a silly wee boy. He's going to come over and, and do the business. And he's already got a little bit of European experience, albeit at a lower level. Um, and I think, yeah, he's adaptable. He's And he's one of those guys, he's got no ego. You know, when he was at Yamaga... He knew he was a cut above everybody else on that park, but he never showed it. He, he never had any tantrums, never any arrogance. He just got his head down, grafted his arse off for the team week in, week out. Really, I was impressed with him even then. You know, that was that was two years ago. And I said to my, my friend who used I used to go to the Yamaga games with, I said, look, I don't know if this guy's going to turn out to be good enough for Celtic, but the potential's definitely there. And he's only developed further since then, you know. So what sort of um, price lock target tag do you think we'll be looking at? If it was in, you know, the January window, season's over, you said paying $4.5 million for Kyogo was like the highest fee mm. for a J-League player in the last decade. So what do you think from the Japanese perspective? $3.5 million, you reckon, would do the aye. job? Or? Aye, three, three to three and a half probably. Because in Japan, they know he's not quite as good as Kyogo doesn't have as many international caps as Kyogo. Um, but he is a highly regarded player. And like I said, in Japan, they always do their best not to stand in the way of guys who have the chance to move to Europe. So, yeah, I think Yokohama could be persuaded to make it happen. It might be a bit like, um, you know, if you remember when we signed Nakamura, Part of the sweetener was that we went to Japan and played Yokohama in a friendly. Um, you may find that at some point Celtic would agree to do that again. They might come over and play Marinos in a in a preseason game or something so as part of the deal. So let's just win the league this year then. Then we don't have to qualify for the Champions League. Then Ange can bring his team out east to Japan and Australia. Happy yeah. days. Yes. That's, that's the idea, isn't it? On the scene. Perfect. Don't do the scumbag thing that Chelsea and Barcelona did and, ch- and charge 10 times the price of a regular J-League ticket for a match ticket, please. And don't issue half-half scarves either, please. They're lame. <laughs> no, especially uh, since Yokohama play in like blue, red and white. It just it wouldn't go together. <laughs> do we, like just to play devil's advocate slightly here, do we, do we genuinely need another forward right now with knowing what we have and people coming back and stuff is it is it a bit of a speculation or or is it just a bit of a waste a biggest signing spot we need is a central midfielder in my opinion that so if we can get a central midfielder and Maeda in my opinion I'd be wrapped with that but at the same time central midfielder has to be the first signing Uh, McCarthy's not going to cut it long term I don't think Um, so we need to get that you know, see, to be honest, talking about wingers, now Jota shows a lot of potential so far, but he's the first guy that's really looked like he could step up and properly replace Scott Sinclair to me. I don't think we've ever looked the same since since Sinclair left. No, Jota looks like he could be the guy to do that, but I know that Maeda could be the guy to do that as well. Um, 
from what I've seen of him. Competition's and, good. Yeah, competition is good. And like I said, it is. if he if if Maeda comes in, I, I guarantee you at least one, possibly two, of Ajeti, Johnson, and I hate to say it, but possibly even James Forrest could be out the door in January. Well, I, I don't see Forrest leaving. Something we're going to talk about later on on the pod, guys. But anyway, what are you saying? Yeah, John? I think Forrest is too old to move on. Um, mm, possibly, yeah. I could put. I could potentially see Johnson going out on loan. Hmm. That's somebody who I could see. I mean, for for me, I don't. I don't think we need a forward. So as much as I think Maeda looks the part, I think it would. I think it would like exactly what you're saying, Liam. I think it might spur on other things to happen rather than. Um, complement what we currently have or don't have. I agree with Jared. We need a centre mid. That's a position that needs strengthening. I also think our fullbacks. Jovanovic uh, uh, is very, very good. I like that. Uh, Rousen's very, very good. Um, we need more there, though. So I think those mm-hmm. are the positions that are weakest at the moment. See, when, when Ange said... I think last week in its press conference that you know plans are already in motion for what's going to happen in January. You know he said Good. we're not supposed to concluding deals, but we already have ideas about who we want to bring in and we're working in the background on it. Now I assumed I read that as we also have an idea of who's going to be getting moved out. Yeah, you know I think it's fair. Let's just jump to that topic now then, and then we come back to our other stuff that we had there. So. I actually had on the on our run sheet that the players that were out of favour in our squad at the moment heading into November. Do you guys think that any of the following players will have will break into the first team at all this season? So you got Barkas, Ayeti, Irigiri, Shaw, and Sorrow. They were the names I put down because they're the guys that I don't I don't see much for going forward. Like I think we've got Shaw and Irigiri signed until. Was it 2025? So those guys, I think we should go down the Ryan Christie path, loan them out within Scotland so we can keep an eye on them, see what they're doing, but get them a good 18-month loan away from Celtic Park. So I'd love to see Shaw go somewhere like, I don't know, Motherwell, because it's a good pitch and the sort of midfielder he is so he could get out there and play. Eric Geardy, he can just go somewhere like Dundee United would be good for him or if they lose their young right back or even up to Aberdeen if Ramsey moves on. But then Sorrow, I wouldn't mind seeing him running around at Hibs. I think that would be a decent level for him. He could go out there, he could smack a few other players and help take points off them. Barkas and the Yeti, that's our $10 million spent last season. To me, I'm looking at it going, those two both need to go. Like, a Yeti's got no chance because you've got guys like Kyogo, you've got Jack and Marcus there, and then you also look at it and go, well, if we bring in Maeda, there's nothing. There's no coming back for him. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be four strings. So he'll ne- he'll need to move on. If we can get one and a half, two million for him, it's not ideal. But we wouldn't have paid the whole five million up front to West Ham. It would have been in in instalments, so we won't be any worse off. Mm-hmm. But what do you think, John? Um, I would love it if all those things happened. Um, I don't see any of the players that we discussed breaking through. To be honest, um, I think Barkas is done. I think Barkas was looked fantastic on paper, and he just doesn't have the mentality to step up to Celtic 
It's unfortunate, but it happens. Ayeti, I think, is somebody who um, just has stagnated since Basel. Um, I think from what some of the West Ham fans were saying as well, is he's, he, he didn't have a chance, slash, he couldn't cut it. So that's kind of that's kind of actually the same story at Celtic. So he'll probably move on to a lesser league and do okay. Um, I, and I just don't I just don't see Irigidi breaking through. Irigidi to me is um, another I forget the boy's first name. Benu Kudai Benu. Uh, I think Kudai Benu. Yeah. It's it, it's it's one of those players that Celtic didn't know heaps about, but knew enough about to speculate on. What's a hundred k or two hundred k to Celtic, right? Just completely worth speculation. Everybody else, Shaw um, and Sorrow, I think could do with moving on, keeping around. Sorrow's okay, but he's too hot and cold, far too inconsistent. Um, I would, I would love it if all of them went up to Aberdeen, to be honest, because still with Scott Brown up there, imagine having like an ambassador at another team talking up Celtic and telling them how to think about Celtic and. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> all right, so they can all they can all go. They can have sorrow for like on a permanent, and then they can have Shaw and Giddy on loan for the next eighteen months at Aberdeen. But they've got to send Lewis Ferguson down to us for a central oh, yeah. midfield signing. Would you sign yeah. off on that? Um, I would. Yes, <laughs> I think Ferguson's probably better than Sorrow. Yeah. Aye. Yeah. Um, of, just... of the players that you mentioned, Jared, the only one that I think has got a chance is Sorrow. And not because I think he's necessarily good enough, but it's because I don't know what, if any, thing Celtic plan to do in January about signing a defensive midfielder. We have to, because we, we can't rely on anybody, Yeah, if we don't sign anybody and if we don't move on Beaton or McCarthy, then, you know, rotation is going to necessitate that Sorrow has to come in at some point. So he is going to get another chance. Whereas all the other players you mentioned, the squad can rotate without them. They are surplus. Especially if we get Maeda in January. Um, Ajeti is so far out the door, he might as well be halfway down the street. You know? Um, and I think I think Ajeti... I'm going to make a comparison here. Ajeti, to me is at Celtic what Joe Hart was at Spurs. A player with ability, with potential, with whatever, but for whatever reason, mentally, physically, emotionally, he can't do it at Celtic. In the same way that Joe Hart just could not break into the first team at Spurs. He needs to go somewhere where he's going to be backed to the hilt, he's going to be loved, and he's going to be admired and respected. The Celtic fans have embraced Joe Hart and he's reciprocated. I think if Ajeti and possibly Barkas as well went somewhere where that could happen for them, possibly if they return to their home countries, um, where they're welcomed as heroes, I think it could rejuvenate them because they both have the potential to be superb players. Just not at Celtic. I'm afraid that ship has sailed. Perfect spot for them, in my opinion. Send them to Red Star Belgrade. Hmm. But not a lot of money down there. Send them there. They'd be the main men there. But make sure you have a massive salon fee because the Balkans, Italian clubs love to go shopping down there. 
can you make some cash back on them that way? You'll cover your losses. Yeah. Probably good for I at think... least the Europa League stages every season as well. Yeah. Probably. I think I think Ayeti's um I think he suffered a lot from our style of play as well. Um mm. I think he'd probably do better in a in a very rigid old school four four two. Um, where he can just because he's a proper goal poacher, right? So he's not looking at doing much. He's looking at you know just getting the, the couple of goals from a rebound and stuff. So yeah, I I I, I think Barkas probably will end up back in Greece. Um, I think Ayeti probably could go away to another Red Star Belgrade is a good shout somewhere like that. Um, maybe Dynamo, Dynamo Zagreb. I don't know that type of team. Somewhere where he's out the spotlight a bit and can just work on his football and nothing else. Yeah, where he'll exactly. be the main man, where they're going to be played week in, week out. Yep, exactly. I mean, and everybody else, they just um, haven't cut it, unfortunately. Yeah. So I'll tie this back to what we were we were talking about, Mikey Johnson. So you guys were mentioning that potentially he could be one as well that's let go soon enough and. I look at it and go, if he was to go, Maeda comes in, we've got Owen Moffat there in the background as well, in the Colts. And then in the midfield, we're talking about if Dave McCarthy or Bitton or Sorry moves on. We've got Boson Lawwell down in um, the Colts as well, who's doing well at centre-back and defensive mid. So we've got some options there. What does that do if we bring guys through from the Colts? What does that do to the guys that are out on loan? Mick? You've got Henderson. You've got, I don't even know if he's on loan or if he's around the club, but guys like Henderson, guys like Luke O'Connell. Do we put a line through that and say they're done, just sell them as well in January or at the end of the season? What do you think? I think some of them probably need to move on. I think if if... Luke O'Connor was going to break for the team. It would have happened already. I mean, we got him. We got him. Um, Bolton, I, I seem to remember. Um, yeah. yeah. And and they were doing. I think they've gone through administration. Or we're going through administration at the time. So we got we got somebody who we're probably looking at selling on regardless, right? I don't think he was ever somebody necessarily that was going to be a big mainstay. I think it's probably a risk or like a. Um, a gamble that Celtic were taking that he could have been, but getting somebody of good quality, really, really cheap, you know, there's there's benefits there. Look, for me personally, I'm gonna I'm just gonna stick my hand up here and I'm gonna say I don't think Michael Johnson should move on. I know everybody I know I know what you're saying. We've said this, he's had three seasons of he's probably gonna be good. I genuinely think this kid, if you give him the opportunity, if he can just stay fit, it's he doesn't do a Ramsey, Aaron Ramsey for too long. And just stays fit, stays in the team. I generally think he's going to be a really, really good player for us. So I don't think we should sell him at, at all. I think if we wanted to move on to a loan, he's only 22, 23, get a bit bigger, you know, play more consistently. Maybe not even in the, in the Premiership. Maybe if he went down to another Championship or the League One in England or something like that. Bit of experience, you know, match. I think he could be fantastic for us. So I'd be happy if um, this Japanese lad came in, Michael Johnson went out on loan and we moved on Ayeti. But I wouldn't want to get rid of Johnson. I think he's, I think I see too much in him. I think he's going to be great. Mm. Um, Henderson, for me, is, look, honestly, is Henderson any worse than Sorrow? Probably not. He's probably a lot better, right? So 
I mean, I'd be keeping players like that in. I mean, Owen Moffat seems to be look seems to be doing good, but he hasn't really got the experience for me to have an opinion on him yet. But there are a couple of players that we probably don't need to buy. We could probably bring in defensively in the midfield position, but attacking mid, I think we need yep. more options. You got guys like Robertson as well, so there's a few options there. I wasn't saying to sell Mikey. Like for me, I what I, I reckon a loaner doing good, and I reckon either goes to another Scottish Premiership team, so he gets used to being loaned in our league and get a run of games for the second half of the season because he's missed a lot of football in the last two years, or sitting down on a club like Sunderland, who's trying to get promoted up to the Championship, where there's that pressure and expectation. He's playing in front of a big crowd. I think that's the sort of pathway that I'd like to see before. If he's not going to be in our first team competitively like every week, then maybe that's a path for him. But he's class player. There's yeah. there's talent there. It's just a matter of harnessing it and him staying healthy. He needs a good 18-month yeah. run playing consistent football, whether it's at Celtic or elsewhere, injury-free. And then I think you can really make the final judgment on... Is he up to it with us or not? Exactly. We said the same thing about Rogic when he first came over from Australia, when Celtic first signed him, and then he went on loan to Melbourne Victory, hurt his groin, got the old osteitis pubis, and then went back and under Neil Lennon did nothing. And then when Ronnie took over and actually started to play him and he got that run of games, that six months to 12 months worth of games, he was ready to explode once Rogers got into the building. So, yeah, that's the exact same sort of setup. It's growing pains for players who, a lot of them, you look at them and they're these technically gifted players, good with the ball at their feet, but they struggle from age 20 to 22, 23 while they're growing, filling out, get a few wins. Yeah, you don't want to lose that sort of play. You've got to persevere with them. I tell you what, in my opinion, Mike Johnson's biggest weakness is and it's his decision-making. It's it's the it's the silly passes. It's the trying to beat three players. Um, it's shooting too far from outside of the box when he should be running at the byline or um, passing it through the middle or something. That's why I think his biggest weakness is. That's what happens when you hang out with Ryan Christie so much? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or Edward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Any anything else you want to add to that, boys? Before we change gears for a little. No, 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 I think we can't. No, I think we're good. All right, so we've got a couple of uh, health and sort of health issues we want to discuss here. And the first one was, I can never say his name right. Is it Wim Janssen? I can't remember if it's Wim or Vim most of the time, but he's been diagnosed with dementia. Um, you're starting to see a lot of that in the media and that for people who played around that era. So um, I just want to say, thinking of you, of your whim, you're a Celtic icon on bringing in God last into the club and, you know, stopping the 10 and all that sort of stuff. So how, how, hope you feel better. Well, you're not going to feel better. I hope you, you don't deteriorate too quickly because dementia is an absolute evil beast of a thing. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally um, echo those thoughts, Jared. Dementia is something that's horrible. It's probably it's probably going to happen to the best of us, to be honest. But um, it does, for me, it does open up the question about um, head knocks 
and um, the, the the referees and the, and their duty of care to players on the pitch and stuff. And like I know when it's a very severe head knock, we we kind of stop at the moment. Um, but even even the little ones where you know maybe refs are playing on or that that needs to be cut out immediately. That needs to be taken really seriously. We need to we need concussion assessments like they're doing rugby really seriously. Every game, every player. See, it's uh, again, you know, I echo your sentiments and wishing them all the best. But the one, and I wouldn't say good thing, but the one potential positive thing that comes out of this is every time a former footballer gets diagnosed with dementia, it promotes greater discussion about the issue. And hopefully it also leads to further research, which is eventually going to find a cure for this fucking horrible disease. So if nothing else, you know, I hope Vim Janssen can at least draw a bit of comfort from knowing that he's not alone. And there are a lot more people like him. And I'm sure there are plenty of scientists all around the world working to make sure that one day there'll be nobody like him. Yep, that's that's it at the end of the day. And then the other bit of news was yesterday. There was um, news coming out of Rangers about the uh, passing of Walter Smith. So I know this is a Celtic podcast. I don't want to have any of that crap going on with um, the religious divide, the clubs, all the history, that sort of stuff. But to me, Walter Smith, my opinion on it is caused us a lot of pain as fans, especially in the 90s and stuff when I was growing up and I was a young boy learning about my team and following, really getting into following my team from over here. Didn't like the guy, but then... You know, when he was close with Tommy Burns and was a pallbearer at his funeral and all that sort of stuff. Like, the guy, the class act from it, what you hear. And, yeah, that's when I say R.I.P. Walter Smith. Yep. Bit of a um, sad week, I guess, in that sense. Um, football world. He was our biggest rival. And I think that's easy to say. So there is an inherent sadness about when your biggest rival passes because it's an era finishing, isn't it? So, um, and, and yes, uh, let's just cut the bullshit out on social media. Um, all that silly point scoring and stuff. He's a person. Football is completely separate. You know, a man's past. Think of his family and stuff. So yeah, sad, sad days. A great man who leaves a great legacy for both Rangers and Scotland. And who, from all accounts, though I never met him personally, I know plenty of people who did, both Celtic and Rangers supporters, who said that he was an absolutely wonderful gentleman, terrific human being, nothing was ever too much trouble. Um, And I guess the biggest compliment I can pay to Walter Smith is that he was an extremely worthy opponent and you have to respect that and you have to admire that and any friend of Tommy Burns is a friend of mine as far as I'm concerned so 
goodbye and God bless R.I.P. Watersmith. And one other thing, any any manager who rips the Scottish media to shreds and drops 25 swear words in one interview is okay by me. <laughs> See, yes. I, yeah, I was too young to even have ever seen that interview, but I've been seeing it on the social medias. Bloody hell, that's hilarious. That's... <laughs> I forgot all about it, and then I saw it today, and I was like, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Good God, that was brilliant to watch. <laughs> In those days back. <laughs> all right, so we'll jump on to the uh, preview of tonight's game against uh, Hibs over at Easter Road. So what are you boys expecting to see as the um, starting lineup, John? Um, I don't think it's going to be hugely different. Um, I probably think that Giacomacus will start um, and play for 60 minutes again. Um, and I think Kyogo and Jota will start up front. Um, I think the midfield probably speaks for itself. Turnbull, McGregor, Rogic. I don't need to see any changes there. Um, and then I, I guess the back line, the back five, is going to be the exact same also. I think we're going to stick to what's been working recently. I think we're going to have Juranovic on one side. We're going to have Ralston on the other. Carter Vickers, um, Starfelt, Hart. That's going to be our back five. It's going to be a tough game, I think. Um, I think Hibs are going to be right up for it. Easter Road, tough venue. Um, but our form has been it's lightning hot at the moment. So, God, it's going to be a good game, actually, I think. Very back and forth. Well, Hibs aren't in good, aren't in good form. They've lost three in a row. They'll it's be three. up for it, though. Let's let's not have any illusions. Yeah. They'll be right up for playing Celtic. Yeah, I always get worried when I hear, oh, this team has lost X number of games in a row. That means they're due to win one. <laughs> so that worries me, you know. It was the same with Livingston, Liam. <laughs> yeah. Won any. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I think this is, I mean, I, I spoke earlier about how the last three games have been different tests of Celtic's character, which they've all passed. Tonight is going to be another test of our character because Hibs play a very similar style to we do. And it's how are we going to handle being away from home with a team who attack with almost as much pace and aggression as we do? How are Celtic going to handle that? And I think I think we'll win, but I think you could have like a you know a three-two or a, or a you know a four-two or something. It could be a very high-scoring, very open game, um, and it's one that I think. Um, even a lot of neutrals tonight will be tuning in to watch because for me, it's the game of the day. I'm thinking it'll be a 3-1. And I agree with what you're saying, Liam. It's like, okay, how's Celtic handling the press? Because they're going to come at us hard, but they press that hard that once we're through, we're going to have a lot more space in our midfield going forward than we're used to normally having. So it could be one of them ones where if we get a hold of it early and put a couple of early goals in and then they they fall apart. It could be one of those games that ends up as 4-0, 4-1. But it could just as easily end up as a 1-0 or a 2-0 sort of thing where it's like you grind out and get a late goal and you get a goal just before either side of half time. It could be an interesting one. So, um, yeah, I think with the lineup that John said, it'll be pretty much the same except I think Abada will be back in, Jack and Marcus off the bench. And Kyogo back in the middle. 
Aye, I'd hope so too. I think Giacomakis has got a lot to offer, but Kyogo is wasted on, on the wide play. He needs to be through the middle. It's more to take advantage of the space than to give us like Add eyebrocks, oh. a lot of space, but you know, Kyogo was wasted out wide. Mm. So that's why I'm thinking well, we'll get him back in the middle because Ange said he wouldn't repeat that. So um, we can get him back in the middle and have that space, and then if that doesn't work, then bring on the big the big man for the last 20 minutes or so when their centre backs are a bit tired. Cool, that could work. Yeah, I, I I'd love to see that. That's uh, I mean that's really where Kyogo's. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's where he's best. So I think starting him in the middle and then bringing on Jackamacus could definitely work. I'd, I'd be happy to see that. I mean, look, I'm just going to say this. <laughs> Every single time the three of us have had a pod like this, and we've and we've made predictions and stuff, we've gone, oh, it's going to be a tough game, and you know they do. We've always fucking romped whoever we played. <laughs> we're all quite hesitant to say we're going to absolutely bloody do them in. So why, I'm not saying that, that touch wood. We're not going to. Yeah. Why would you fucking say that? Reverse psychology's out. Fuck. <laughs> now I've said it out loud I've, I've ruined the curse well the gift no, whatever you want to call it yeah. so everybody you know you know his you know his Twitter account if we get beat tonight you know who to tweet at <laughs> you know who fucking yeah. was I've, I've, at, I've, at Sean I've, Down Under <laughs> <laughs> and then on the weekend we're playing against Livingston so um that's to me. That's the game where I'd, I'd get Jack and Marcus a bit more game time than tonight. So, um, yeah, they've got a few uh, frisbee flo- throwers at uh, at Libby. They don't play for much football. They just want to get out there and just be big meatheads and belt you around a bit. So, that's a game where I'd get Jack and Marcus in the middle, starting up front there, more than uh, I would tonight. But yeah, I think. Um, Livy, we might see the return of Ball and Golly in that game. Other than that, I think it'll be pretty much be the same old, same old. I wonder if it might be worthwhile for the Livy game to now. Don't shoot me down here till you hear this out. I wonder if it might be worthwhile to actually drop Kyogo to the bench. Start with Jakimakis, Jota, and Abada up front. Let Jakimakis just pummel them for an hour or so. Then bring on Kyogo to run at them when when they're tired. So you want Jack and Marcus to go on and play the Lyndon Dykes role for us against Livy? Yep, basically beat them at their own game. <laughs> that could work. Why not? Yeah. yeah, I think what we're talking about now is just having a bit of versatility, which is nice to bloody see for once. Aye, the fact that we can even consider doing something like that is is a massive yeah. step forward. The fact I mean, that you yeah. even said that, Liam, that, you know, drop Kyogo. Can you imagine <laughs> saying that 12, 18 months ago, oh, I'd drop Edward and play a Yeti? Yeah. Do you know, that's, that's it, Edward, right? I noticed something at the weekend, and tell me if you guys agree with this. Apologies, I'm going to talk about Rangers for a second. But do you think, looking at the way he's playing, his body language and his general conduct, Morelos this season is what Edward was last season. Like Morelos, I, he shows Morelos. all the signs he does not want to be there anymore. 
Um, I don't blame him. <laughs> no, no, it's a sinking ship. But no. um, yeah, look, Morelos is a very overhyped player, and I think that mm-hmm. has been completely apparent in the multiple transfer windows where um, the only bids have been from Chinese invisible teams. Um, you know, <laughs> and he's he his average, he's maybe above average. But he's not going to be going to the Premier League, and he's not going to go to a big five uh, league. He's probably going to go to the some of the smaller leagues we're talking about in Eastern Europe and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, he doesn't want to be there. But I think there's a few players that don't want to be there. Just now. yeah. The only I disagree with you on that one. for him is if he goes maybe somewhere like Russia or something, somewhere that's actually got a few quid. Yeah, that would that's a really good shout. Russia, actually, the Russian league. Yeah. I was just about to say I disagree with you. I could see him going to a top five league, i.e. France, but he'd probably end up at a club like a Montpierre or Montpierre or whatever it is, or Nantes yeah. or something like that. Like yeah. down the bottom half sort of team or to lose if they got promoted. Or yeah, as Liam said, off to Russia, get a few yeah. rubles in. If he goes to China, they'll get some paid monopoly money. And government bonds. Okay. There was never a Chinese team going in for him. Let's be perfectly no. honest. And it, like that, that was just complete and utter bullshit. But um, something around about the 15 million, I would think would be fair for him. Now, to be honest, I reckon they'll be lucky to get seven to ten. Yeah, I agree with you. We've 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 got to we've got to at least expect Scottish players um, that, uh, or sorry, that players that leave Scottish the Scottish league to be getting more than than that right there's as an overall expectation especially the fan base and all that stuff we mm-hmm. should be rising those expectations you know Christie's height was probably a 15 to 18 million player yeah but so the thing kind of with Christian, Christian Edward what hurt them was they had less than a year on the contracts so that's why their weight their fees were so low like Morelos went, yeah, the more I think about it, John, you're probably right, maybe 12 to 15 range because he's got, what, three years left on his contract or something like that? Yeah. So, yeah, I could see that happening. All depends on who makes the call, if it's Gerard or if it's the money men. Because if they say, then, you know, that's, that's the bid they take. So, Rangers have got to do something. Sorry, Sevco has got to do something within the next two seasons. Something big, otherwise they're in real bloody trouble. Mm. I said, I'll go the way Rangers when I said that. I had a big smile when I said that to see you. All <laughs> <looking> <laughs> all. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sitting here grinning like the fucking Joker at the prospect. <laughs> all right, yeah. um, all right so just jump back to the Libby game quickly. So, it's your score predictions, boys. For Livingston, I think we're going to be seeking revenge. So I'm going to say uh, 2-0 because I think Livia is going to sit back and low block mm-hmm. for 90 minutes. Uh, I'll say 1-0. 1-0 and I think it will be a very poor game, to be quite honest. Okay, and Russell Boyce from Axon, if you're listening, I'm calling it. This is that game you said all season. This is the 10-0 game. Oh, <laughs> There you go, John. Probably well, we saved it for New Year against the Huns, but you know, if we're gonna do it, <laughs> that's fine, you know. There you yeah. go. Fingers crossed, eh? God, that would really be a revenge, wouldn't it? That'd be brilliant. 
All right. So what we'll do is we'll uh, wrap the podcast up there. I think we've uh, covered everything we wanted to discuss. Hope the boys get a uh, win tonight. So, Liam, final thought. Final thought. Give me a wee second. You guys go first. I'm still thinking about which one to use. All right. Well, here's my final thought. Um, And for those that I don't know if they follow Australian news, even American news, my final thought is if America does send in the troops to save Australia, we'll have to unleash the emus. But that's okay because they've got a 100% success rate in warfare anyway. So we're always going to (laughs) win. That's that's my fucking lunacy final thought. (laughs) 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 But you've just fucking talked it, mate. Oh shit. So those just so that so that reference is understood, right? (laughs) Candace Owen, who's a fascist, racist, misogynistic right wing American commentator, recently said that Australia is um, under dictatorship and they need to send in the American troops <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yeah Australia was um, at war with the emus and we lost that's the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. alright Liam over to you mate <laughs> yeah um, I'm gonna well, I'm, I'm actually just gonna end on a quote I'm gonna quote that great political outspoken you know Figure of, you know, great prominence in the UK, Nigel Farage. Up the ass. <laughs> and my one is, if you can't be good, be good at it. Get stuck yeah. in, everyone. Have a good one. Hail, hail. Hail, hail. Hail, hail. <laughs>